for the summers, we've been spending time in the Psalms, and uh, it's been a, a nourishing time. There's a lot of weight. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of wonderful thing in the Psalms. There's just a, a rawness and a realness to the, the writing of, the, of these, and uh, it's uh, the, uh, the word of the Lord for us. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 118. So if you will, grab a Bible and head over to Psalm 118. Uh, what's interesting about Psalm 118 is this is um, <clears throat> most likely the last song that the Lord Jesus Christ sang with his disciples before his uh, betrayal, before his crucifixion. Uh, and we know this there, we think this rather, because it is part of uh, what's called the Egyptian Hallel, which consists of Psalms 113 to Psalm 118, and they've been uh, used since even before the time of Christ. They were sung during the Passover festival. Uh, as the celebration, as uh, a way of remembering all that the Lord did during the Passover. And so uh, 118 is the last in that list. And right before Jesus and the disciples leave the upper room, it tells us they, they sang a hymn. And then out they went where he was uh, betrayed in the garden. So um, it's an interesting thing to think this could be the last song that uh, our Lord Jesus was singing with his disciples there uh, before his death and ultimately resurrection. So uh, we're going to read all 29 verses, see it together. It's a little long at first, but I think you're going to enjoy it, seeing it together that way. Uh, and then we'll go through it in a little more detail. Don't worry too much about those. Uh, I know you're seeing seven points. It's not full seven points. It's just a way of breaking the text down. You're still going to make it to lunch. Um, you're still going to make it to brunch and whatnot. So Psalm 118, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those, those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but... The Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of, of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is a marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. 
You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, your word here is gloriously redundant, gloriously redundant in teaching us that your steadfast love endures forever. Thank you for loving us in ways we simply do not deserve. As we seek to turn this psalm over in, our, in the hands of our heads this morning to study the details, we ask that you would enlighten our hearts to care about what it teaches us. And we ask that you enlighten our minds to understand these ancient words, whereby you reveal yourself to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first line, I hope you notice, the first line and the last line of the psalm are actually the exact same line. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And so we begin with this, this call, or the psalmist begins with this call that we are to give thanks to the Lord. And we're going to end with this exact same call, to give thanks to the Lord. And the reason that the psalmist encourages us, all of us rather, to, to praise God, to thank God, to be grateful to God is the simple fact that God is good. And the first evidence of this goodness that he lays down here is the fact that his love endures forever. He will never let us go. When we read this, it, it certainly evokes uh, Exodus 34, 6, when, when Moses uh, a second time goes up Mount Sinai, right, into the presence of the Lord, and, and is told that the, the Lord passes before him. And as he does so, he, he proclaims this. He says, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in his steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And we're going to come back to this. I, I want to revisit this. I told you it's the first and the last. And, and once we have a better picture of this psalm in its entirety, we're going to come back to it. But, but before we even do that, I want you to notice there's these these three categories in verses 2 through 4, where, it's, uh, where you see the redundancy, right? Uh, uh, but the categories are this. Israel, first, which uh, is the nation. These were the people of, of God's own choosing. Uh, and the second category there is the house of Aaron. This is referring to the priests, the, uh, the ones that would, uh, would, would mediate, in a sense, going between. Uh, and the third category broadens the call to those who fear the Lord. That's a broad category, right? Any who, who fear the Lord. For, for all who have been loved by God, this, this call is to, to speak with our mouths. And this is an important thing to understand, to speak with our mouths, to saying, you know, saying, His steadfast love endures forever. Uh, and again, we're going to come back to that. So let's, let's look at verses 5 through 6. Uh, there's sort of personal testimony of, of God's rescue for him. Uh, we still love to hear these stories of, of God's rescue, whether they're you know, speaking of human enemies that God has delivered us from or whether they're speaking about uh, uh, our great enemy of sin that God has rescued us from. Uh, this past week, my, my mother-in-law was in town, and so we, we took her out. I don't know if any of you have been out there. The, uh, the waterfall, it's, uh, it's actually the, the overspill from, from Gary County Lake or Gary Lake, whatever it is. And, uh, but it looks amazing. It looks like something out of... Uh, Hawaii. And so anyway, we, we go out there and these, these two women show up to the falls and they look down at us and they finally realize, okay, this people are safe enough. We'll, we'll wander out of the woods and come talk to them. Um, 
But somehow it came up as we're talking with them that, that we also were, were Christians. And uh, immediately, one of the women, as soon as she heard that, she just began to tell us, you know, I have just recently become a Christian myself. You know, that God has, has rescued me. That, and she began to, to share the story. She just, like, never asked a question. She just started speaking, telling us the story that um, her brother was in the hospital and he was dying of cancer. And, um, and he was a Christian and he knew that she was not. And, and so she asked him, or he asked her, you know, I, I want you to do something for me. Um, and near the end of his, his battle with cancer, he, he asked her this. He said, will you find a church? And, and we begin to go to that church. And, and the reason was he wanted her to, to be somewhere where she would hear the word of God. She'd hear about the love of God for her, that she'd hear the gospel. And, and she said she did that for him. Uh, and she went and, and she did. She heard the word of God. She heard the gospel. She believed the gospel. Uh, she was baptized. And, and now here she is resting in the arms of Jesus, her Savior. And, and I love that here we are, complete strangers to her, but she couldn't even just keep silent. We didn't talk very long, but she could not keep silent about just telling this, this story of God's rescue for her, of her. And it was great. Um, for the psalmist here, you know, he's talking about a, a different kind of rescue. He's talking about um, the way God has delivered him from his enemies. He says, I, I called on the Lord. A lot of us do that. I, I think it's beautiful what we see here. I, I called on the Lord, and, and when he called to the Lord, the Lord answered him. Um, the Lord answered him because, because God was there. And the Lord can answer us because the, God is also here. He's, he's always here and he's always answering. And yet uh, often his answer, he answers us in ways that we fail to take notice because it's not always the way we hope. It's not always the way we expect. But not only does the Lord hear us, uh, he's also for us. I think sometimes, particularly in, in Reformed circles, we, we know that God's mighty enough, right? We know that God's present and real, but, but we forget that he's, he's for us. And the psalmist here says, the, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, this, this is the essence of the covenant of grace. Not that we are mighty, mighty, not that we are in and of ourselves righteous, but the simple truth that God is on our side. We can confidently say with the author of Hebrews, uh, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? And mean that. See, the, the more sure we are of the strength of God and the love of God for us, uh, the less that, the, that fear can squeeze our anxious hearts when, when the weight of the world just seems heavy on us, you know, that when we, when we meditate on this and when we, when we cling to the simple fact that, that God is bigger, God is mightier, and, and he dearly cares for us which is why in, in verses 8 and 9 he you know the psalmist dispenses this wisdom of uh, you know of, of looking to God not man but looking to God he uh, you know even before looking to the most powerful of men for protection the way he puts it it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes and he, he means physical protection here. I, I think sometimes we want to spiritualize these things right off the bat. He's talking about physical protection for sure. And, and yet it's, it's also true that we can find ourselves trusting in, in people when we build our, our life on the opinions and the approval of, of others, right? Um, that tends to be what we, we do in our, our culture a little more. For example, um, does, does your view of your own self rise and fall like the tide based upon the way you perceive others to feel about you. Um, you know, they, they think I'm smart. 
or they think I'm, I'm compassionate, so I must be a pretty good person, or, uh, you know, I, I messed up, and, and now they just think I'm a complete moron, a complete idiot. I, I must be a complete idiot because they think so. Or, 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 you know, does having a boyfriend or girlfriend or a happy spouse make you happy and the opposite just absolutely crush you as if somehow you're, you're an unworthy person? Um, you know, do you find your satisfaction with yourself depends on the next compliment that comes your way about your, your beauty or your strength or your intelligence or uh, the skills you have in some arena of life? And to all that, he, he reminds us. You know, take refuge in God. Find value in, in who, who God is for you, who he has made you to be in, in union with Christ. That's a very different mindset, and it's one we, we need to, to be moving towards as we understand just the love of God for us. The, the third section here then tells this specific story. Uh, three times he, he tells us that the, his enemies surrounded him, right? Uh, he says he was surrounded like, like bees. Surely you've seen these images before where the guy in the bee suit, just, sometimes they're not even wearing the bee suit, but they're covered completely in bees, head to toe, and it just looks like a, a walking group of bees, almost like a, a cartoon um, all over him. He, he says that's what his enemies were like around him, surrounding him. Uh, he says they were like fire among the thorns that just spreads quickly, immediately. Um, three times he also says that he cut them off, meaning that he defeated his enemies. And yet with these, these images he's just painted, he is admitting that he couldn't defeat them alone. He's not saying, I ultimately did it. Yes, yes, there was this, this human effort that he's talking about, but um, he didn't just sit back and, and wait for God to do something. He, he trusted in, in the strength of the Lord, and when he fought, God gave him victory. Uh, as a, a child, we, we kind of lived at the outskirts of Houston, where there were still farms and whatnot, and uh, as a result, all sorts of snakes would end up in our neighborhood. We'd find these, these copperheads. They're not real big, but they're real poisonous, venomous, um, in, our, in our neighborhood. And my dad always told us, you know, when we find the copperheads, we, should, we need to kill them so they don't end up biting one of our neighbors later on. It was kind of, this is your opportunity to, to rid the neighborhood of this. And, uh, and so what would usually happen is my dad would, would hold down the, the snake's head with a stick. We're kind of redneck, you're learning here. Uh, he'd hold it down with a stick, and, and then we'd take a, a knife or a machete or something like that and physically cut the head off this, 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 this uh, snake. And I remember just being terrified, like, what if it slips out? But my dad had it for sure, you know, and, and we would defeat this, the, you know, the snake. But, but the question is, you know, did, did we actually defeat this venomous snake? And, and the reality is, sure, we held the knife, but it was the strength of my dad that made that possible. And... and the psalmist here, you know, he's giving credit to the Lord for the victory, just as all of us should. Whenever we're succeeding in anything, in our jobs and sports, and, well, you know, when we're finding victory over some besotting sin in our lives, that, that we understand, yes, there is effort. But it's the Lord that ultimately gives us the victory. And that's true for anything, everything. Uh, in verses 14 through 18, the salvation he speaks of is, is victory. Uh, over his enemies. It's uh, speaking about the continued life that he'll live. In fact, in verse uh, 14 is a direct quote from Exodus 15.2. Uh, this was Moses' victory song, right? After the victory, Moses writes a song and sings it um, with the people. And, and uh, after God delivers the people from Pharaoh, when, when they escape to the Red Seas, and the, and the Jews would sing this every Passover celebration as just a way to remember that God's power and, and faithfulness 
has set them free from slavery in Egypt, and they're looking back at the faithfulness of God. And that's an encouragement for them in, the, in their current life. Uh, it's the same reason that, uh, you know, we're going to sing in Christ alone after, after we're finished with this sermon. Or, or why we sing Amazing Grace as a church and, you know, so many other wonderful songs. It's so we can remember how God has delivered us from death and sin unto eternal life. We celebrate this together as the people of God. And uh, verse 17, we know that the Lord has prolonged his life. And so he does what we should do with the, the days that we've been given. Each new day is a reason alone uh, for us to say, uh, you know, for us to, uh, as it says here, recount the deeds of the Lord. See, then in, in verse 18, he acknowledges that the, the Lord disciplined him. That seems a little weird in the psalm. It's all the celebratory is what God's doing. And yet here he is saying, um, the Lord has disciplined me. All discipline seems painful. But, but often it actually serves to, to strengthen us as well as to correct us. I, uh, I've recently taken up running. That's not traditionally been a, a sport I partake in. Um, and I know I don't look like a runner. I don't feel like a runner. I'm glad I don't have to watch myself run. Um, uh, my speed is pathetic, the pace. I think my, my computer tells me I'm mostly walking uh, officially. And uh, when I run, I just feel pain everywhere. My legs hurt, my lungs hurt. And as I'm going, I just keep thinking, you know what, I'm making myself weaker. I won't be able to move tomorrow. And, and what I'm learning, though, is that as, as miserable and as weak as I think I'm making myself, um, that's not how it works. You know, this is the process of disciplining the body. Um, it's pain, yes, but, uh, but it's one of those things that's actually making me stronger. And over time, I'm seeing it. I can actually run a little faster, a little further. And, and that's the same way that, that God works in our, our lives. You know, God is often in, our, in disciplining us, is working in our lives so that through discipline, uh, the aim and the purpose is, is greater strength. It's a beautiful thing. Not me running, but the way God actually uses discipline to strengthen us. So as you consider verses 19 and 20 here, you can imagine this, this procession. That's something we, we miss out on. You know, the temple worship, they would, they would come in in this big celebration. There was an actual procession of all the people coming in. And, and you know, we kind of we sit and we, we wait here. But this procession was this uh, exciting movement into the temple for worship. And uh, when, when we read this, though, through the lens of, of Christ, we know that that Jesus has opened up for us the gates of righteousness, that phrase we see there. Or, or as Hebrews 9.12 says, he, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. See, we, we enter in then, not by our own merit, not by our own righteousness, but by the merit of, of Christ's righteousness that is counted ours by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I know it's a phrase we hear often, but the reality is that when, when the Lord looks at you in your union with Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ, not the sin you committed yesterday or the day before or the one you're going to commit later today. Um, and so in light of all this, isn't, isn't verse 21 just our, our prayer as Christians? You see it there before you, verse 21. I, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. I thank you that you've answered me and become my salvation. And, and then in verse 22, the, the cornerstone here is a, a reference initially to the nation of Israel, right? 
Uh, but ultimately, we know that when we view this through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of the gospel, that it is ultimately about Jesus Christ, who, who himself says it's about him. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus says, Have you never read in the scriptures, and he's talking about our psalm right here, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. That's Jesus quoting word for word from this Psalm 118 right here. And the point of this phrase is that the entire building is built in reference to the cornerstone. It's the first stone. It's the most important stone. But as God is building his kingdom, his church, Jesus is the most important. Uh, Verse 24 is is very well known. Uh, It's also one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. we hear it out of context so much, it's a little weird, to be honest, when you, when you hear it in context. Uh, it, it, you know, a little strange. It, it ends this section where, where he pictures entering into worship of God in the temple. That's the context. And he's celebrating that the, the salvation that God has accomplished for him. That's the context. And, and then he just bursts forth with this, this joyful statement, uh, you know, this joyful idea just simply to be alive. He's saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I, I love how we've, we've seen him speaking. I don't know if you notice these things sometimes in the text, but uh, he's been speaking in the first person singular, right? He's saying, I, 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 I. And, and yet here we, we, we get to this, and he's inviting everyone into the joy with him. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so there's this, this corporate invitation into this, this worship of the Lord. See, we, we, we need this because... We tend to focus on the, the negative, terrible things that happen to us each day. That's, that's my tendency. Maybe, maybe you're way more holier than, than I am. You know, but, but something happens. You know, the, the air conditioning breaks or your, your in-laws drive you nuts. So you make this costly mistake at work and, and you feel the weight of just how foolish it was. Or, or you, you know, you're walking out the door in the morning and you spill coffee on your brand new shirt right then. You're out of time. These kind of things, right? Maybe you just feel the feel like a parenting failure. Um, maybe you say something to someone and, and you immediately regret, why did I say that? You know, these are the things that, that tend to stick with us by the end of the day. And, uh, and still, the truth is, if your faith is in Christ, today is a victory for you. No matter what other mistakes you're making, today is a, a victory for you because Jesus has defeated death and sin and set you free and redeemed you so that you have citizenship in his glorious eternal kingdom forever. And so while coffee spills make for a really crummy morning, today is a day of victory. And so let us rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what the day is, right? This is the day. So we don't dwell on the days behind us, and don't be anxious about the days ahead. Uh, Today, look to Jesus and rejoice at the gift of God that we simply call today. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, you know, one practical way to put this into practice. We as a a family, we'll ask everyone at dinner at the end of the day, or sometimes while driving, wherever it might be, the, the setting changes, but uh, we ask this question, what was your highlight and your, and your low light? Um, you know, full disclosure, sometimes we say, what was your happy and your crappy? Um, kids seem to enjoy that terminology a little better. Um, either way, though, we, we take turns answering this, this question, you know, what was the roughest part of your day and what was the best part of your day? 
And, and the low light part of that is just a way of acknowledging, you know, that sometimes your day isn't great. Uh, some days everything isn't peaches and cream. And, and, and that's okay. And, and the highlight helps us to reflect and, and focus on what can be, or, or what can be and, and should be something or many things that we are thankful to the Lord today just to reflect back on the gift of the day that we've just experienced. And um, so I highly recommend any of you, not even, not just those with children, even uh, if it's just you to ask these questions, you know, what was the highlight and the low light of my day? And, and to take that as an opportunity to, to thank the Lord for, for that day. Uh, verse 25 here is actually really interesting. It doesn't look interesting at first, but it is. Uh, it says, save us, we pray, O Lord. Well, that phrase, save us now, uh, or save us, we pray, is, uh, literally means save us now. It's a, a Hebrew word, uh, Hosanna. You've probably heard that word before. This is actually the only place in the entire Old Testament that the, the word exists. You're probably more familiar with the New Testament use of this word. It is uh, interesting because the Greek is actually just phonetically spelling uh, Hosanna, the Hebrew word, and using Greek letters. And when you get to the English guess what? We did the same thing. We just phonetically spell it using English letters. And so it's always a Hebrew word, ultimately. And it means, save us, please, which sounds weird to us. But uh, because over time, this word that meant save us, please, it was a, a, a request and asking a cry out to the Lord has actually become, uh, the meaning of it has changed so that it actually means this, this exaltation for deliverance, this sort of like yippee, hooray, um, for salvation, it's this celebration of God's actually delivering us instead of the question asking for it. And, and you know where you've seen this word, right? When, uh, when Jesus rides in on, into Jerusalem and he's on the back of a donkey um, and the people around him are quoting verses 25 and 26 here. And, and in doing so, they acknowledge that the blessed one that verse 26 speaks of here, uh, the one who comes in the name of the Lord is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. On, on that day we call Palm Sunday, uh, in Matthew 21, 9, uh, the people are shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is the blessed one that Psalm 118 is, is pointing forward to. We see it again in Matthew 23, verse 39, where uh, in this case, Jesus is talking about his second coming, the one that you and I are awaiting still, right? And, and he says, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus makes so clear that he is indeed the blessed one that is to be awaited. Uh, the last two verses here bring it all together for us, right? Uh, you know, if you, if you want a nice morsel of scripture to, to hide in your heart, to, to memorize in, in your mind. Uh, you might consider verse 28 here where it says, uh, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. See, we don't really use that word extol very often. Um, and so I, I looked up synonyms, right, to think what are words we use that are like extol. Uh, and some of the things that came up are this. You know, it means to, to praise enthusiastically. It means to, to sing the praises of, uh, to rave about, to, to rhapsodize over. Uh, and my personal favorite that came up was this, to, to wax lyrical about. Uh, it's a synonym for extol. So really, it, it, you know, it could read, if you wanted some, some funky translation, uh, you are my God and I will wax lyrical about you. 
you start to get the idea it's just this, this praise to God. See, at the, the heart of these last two verses is this call to, to live with grateful hearts. Grateful hearts to our Lord for, for what he has done, to, to sing his praises. And again, uh, you know, our, our last verse is the same as the first verse. Uh, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so we give thanks because God is good. He's good in, in both his character and in his deeds. He's good in his character because he's holy, he's, he's just, he's gracious, he's, he's merciful, he's infinite, he's, he's wise. And, and he's good in his works because he sustains all of creation. Because he has kept his covenant and, and saved his people from his sin. And we think about God's goodness, we think about his, his deeds and his character, and you know, how do we, how do we respond? And our, our hearts want to pay him back, I think. I know that tends to be where my heart wants to go, but we don't pay him back. We couldn't, we shouldn't. Uh, we're simply grateful to the Lord. We, we live in the, the light of all that he's done for us. We, we give thanks that his steadfast love is not a fickle love, but an eternal love, a, a loyal love, a forever love. I mean, do you understand this, Christian, that God's love for you is immovable? You know, let me, let me ask you, you know, how well do you know the steadfast love of God for you? I mean, do you, do you hear what all that means, the, the steadfastness of that? You know, despite our continuing to be unworthy of his love, despite our, our wandering away, to, despite our struggles with sin, our failure uh, to love others well, despite all of that, the Lord is here continuing to love you. That you've been made his, his child by faith in Christ. You know, he will not get fed up with you and walk away. Uh, some of you need to know that, don't you? The Lord will not get fed up with you and just walk away. Um, God will not let you go, but will carry you through another day. Um, Deuteronomy 32.10, you know, consider this. It's, it's talking about the Lord's work in the life of Jacob. And it says this, it says, <clears throat> He found him in a desert land. And in the howling waste of wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. The Lord in his steadfast love finds us, parts in the desert, and cares for us. You know, that, that passage is, yes, ultimately about Jacob, yes. But if you call God your father because your faith is in Christ, then it's certainly true of you too. That's the point of these things, right? The, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Do you believe that? I mean, do you know that? Can you believe that you are the apple of the Lord's eye? Not only you, but certainly you as one of his people. You know, can you believe that his love for you endures and continues and goes on forever? Believe that. Believe it because it's true. Believe it because the steadfast love of the Lord was not given flippantly. No, it was quite costly, in fact. It cost the Lord Jesus Christ his own life. That, that's the love of God for you in the gospel. And so we can say with, with confidence, the, the Lord my God, he loves me, and he will love me forever. 
mean, you understand that, Christian. I mean, this is, this is the end, but let that sink in. The fact that God will not walk away from you. He will not abandon you. Because his love is that enduring forever. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, you are good and our hearts are thankful that you are the most powerful of beings. You're the most holy of beings. You are good and gracious and merciful. We thank you that for the sake of your name and, and your glory, you have not lowered expectations, but you have met them for us in the gospel. And so by the Holy Spirit, you apply the gospel to our hearts that we might be counted righteous because of the righteousness of our Savior, because of the righteousness of, of your Son, because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for you and for all that you do for us, we, we thank you. In Jesus' name, we lift this prayer. Amen.